What is up, Filmalytics family? I am your host, Chad Workman, joined by my co-host, Matt Nine. Welcome into the first Filmalytics Dynasty and Redraft podcast, our first ever show. Uh, glad you could be here with us and join us. We are going to tell you all about what we're doing here at Filmalytics. And of course, we're going to talk some of our, our players that we like this year, some guys who are going around 40th or so in dynasty startup adp at their position that have a chance to finish in the top 24 at their position so stick around don't go anywhere matt what is up how are you it's been a while since we've uh been on the airwaves here it has been a while it's been a hot minute i'm doing well though how are you yeah, I'm doing well. I'm excited. I'm excited for today's show and and many more to come and just everything we're doing here. Yeah. So for those of you listening that are following Chad and I over here to this podcast, uh, just some personal news. Since the last time you heard my voice, I have actually had a little girl who is three months old uh, in two days. So that's kind of what I've been up to as we're working through this off season and getting ready for training camp here and was it less than two weeks now right at two weeks so it's yeah. been a busy time i can't believe it's two weeks away and i can't believe you are a father both things both of those i can't believe are... that either but here we are <laughs> no super cute super cute girl um big off season for you and um congratulations to you i know we've got Thank some you. loyal followers and listeners out there that are that are happy to hear that news and happy for you as as well as all of us at at filmalytics were for you so big news there um bigger news trade today yeah it just rattled the entire nfl just the streets are talking and it's just bonkers what's happening do you want to tell the people uh the greatest prospect from the 2018 class yeah i think it was 2018 draft class the kill harry has been traded to the Chicago Bears to go along with their all-star third round pick or second round pick Velas Jones Jr. and an actually good wide receiver in, in Darnell Mooney. Speaking of Velas Jones, Nikhil Harry is younger than Velas Jones. I'm pretty sure most people are younger than Velas Jones. <laughs> well, I'm not because I'm old, but You're tr- that's true. Um, yeah, no, I mean, in all seriousness, it's, you know, it's, it's not a big move like <laughs> – Nikhil Harry has fallen so far, but as somebody who followed him at ASU and, you know, watches a fair amount of ASU football, he was a very legitimate prospect. I mean, he couldn't separate, right? And that's what's crushed him, but he has a lot of trades. So the Bears trading a seventh round pick for him, they might as well, right? They Yeah, you, I mean, you have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose if you're them. So it makes sense. And I think the Patriots just wanted him out of there. They got Devontae Parker, who is like, a better version of Harry, right? Like an established um, older player to, to fit in that offense. So I think it makes sense for both sides. Probably no impact on fantasy, but I don't know. I mean, are you adding Harry off the waiver wire just to stash on a like 30-man dynasty team? I will say that they did offer him like some sort of reconciliation to stay if he was willing to like transition to tight end. But I don't know if that actually ever happened or he just said no, it didn't show up. But they did say, hey, you know, you can fight for a roster spot, but it's got to be a tight end. But no, I'm, I'm not stashing him. I remember in, man, those trade rumors came out in February, but I think it was in March I traded 
So even one of our own Filmalytics crew, Austin, and the Oceans League, I traded him. I think it was like a fourth and a sixth uh, for Nikhil Harry. And then because I was like, it's a fourth is two years from now. The sixth is this year. Like, I don't feel like I'm losing that much. But then I was actually able to turn Nikhil Harry into traded him during a rookie draft and took uh, Justin Ross with that pick I got back. So I turned a fourth and a sixth into Justin Ross ultimately with Nikhil Harry on the way. So I don't feel too bad about it, but no, I'm not, I'm not really stashing him. I, th- I think it might be worth, you know, putting him on the end of your bench if he's somehow sitting on the waiver wire, but I doubt it, but it's not, not a guy I'm going out actively trying to get. Yeah. Yeah. I think certainly not trading for him, even if he's on the wire, like, which yeah, he, he's probably not, but it, that's the, that's the reason I phrased it like that because that's the only way I would consider it. But even then there's probably more interesting guys out there that I would rather have, like, I don't know, just in this offense, it's not that exciting. But anyways, um, we did not come here to talk about Nikhil Harry um, prior to what you wanted to do, or despite what you wanted to do, Matt. Um, First, I want to talk just about Filmalytics, right? So um, we've been on the ground now for a few months. Um, Chance and Andrew have been doing the Devi podcast. So go listen to that. If you're listening to this, um, now they got four episodes up already. Yep. They're in our feed. So we're going to be in the same feed. So, uh, yeah, go check that out. It's great stuff, but we've, we're, we're doing, so they have the Devi podcast. We, we actually have separate tiers. If you don't know this, if you're listening and just checking us out, we have a, the Devi tier, we have dynasty redraft, and then we have DFS and best ball. So kind of covering a lot of ground with those three tiers. Um, and we've, we've just got a lot of plans, you know, right now you can, you can head on over to patreon.com backslash filmalytics and subscribe to one of the tiers or all of the tiers. Uh, but we have a lot planned, um, a lot coming on the way as the season draws closer Matt, I don't know if you want to get into any specifics. I know, I mean, obviously you have your models and metrics and things like that that are also available. Yeah, so going back to the podcast, we're going to have a bunch of different kinds of podcasts. We get plans for live shows during the season that Chad's going to work on with Austin. Going to be some DFS best ball type stuff. Uh, Chad and I are going to record every week, probably on Tuesdays. And then Andrew and Chance are going to record at least once every two weeks. But again, they're attacking the college stuff. We're attacking the redraft uh, dynasty stuff. And then Chad and Austin will attack the best ball and DFS. But everything's going to be under one podcast banner. There's not, we're not multiple podcasts. It's just all these episodes are going to show up in our feed. Uh, as for the stuff that we have on Patreon, I mean, we have the notion we got huge in-depth dynasty ranks uh we took it a lot deeper than what we have before i know when we did ranks before we were kind of doing like the top 40 to 50 guys Um, we got we're down into like you know 80 90 deep in every position uh which is i personally like i I feel like it's very thorough and you know so, so i know myself included some of us play in like super super deep leagues and obviously some of those guys will never really be relevant but again you're just it's just that little edge of just trying to 
you know, maybe there's a twinkle in one of these guys' eyes I can put on the bottom of my bench. And so we have all those guys ranked. We got redraft ranks. I have uh, my special taxi squad ranks where I've gone through and I've picked the rookies and year two players and ranked them. And what I believe is uh, priority for your taxi squads. Now, obviously, some of those guys aren't going to be taxi squad worthy because players like Brees Hall, players like Javante Williams, like they're already going to be on your roster. You don't want those guys in your taxi squad. So these are guys that I'm ranking that might need two years, might need another year uh, just to sit on, on the taxi squad. And then you wait until year three or year two to see what's going on with them. But we got a ton of stuff over there. So you know, got to sign up and check that out. Yeah. I love that. Uh, the taxi squad rankings, like that's something that I, you don't really see. Right. And it's beneficial to understand I don't know what you want to do with your taxi squad. A lot of people aren't used to managing one or, or just don't really know how to, how to go about that. So having those rankings is, is a huge benefit. Um, yeah. Like Matt said, I will have a weekly show eventually in season um, with DFS stuff. So that'll eventually come through the podcast and probably on YouTube as well. Um, don't forget the social medias. We have all those yep. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube channel. Yeah, uh, good point. I was just else? about to uh, mention the Twitter. Um, did you say you said TikTok? All all the usernames are the same on purpose. F- at Filmalytics underscore. Yep. Yep. So follow us across the board. Um, just got a lot, a lot of stuff coming. More. Uh, I'm going to be putting out a best ball draft guide draft strategy uh it's going to be probably a pretty big article so stay on the lookout for that if you are in the best ball best ball mania or just in the best ball world at all there's so much so much going on with best ball right now so um we chose filmalytics because we i just want to touch on this real quick just to give people an idea who haven't followed us, what we're kind of about. And obviously it's a combination of film and analytics. We really have kind of embodied both aspects. Um, Like I said, Matt has his, um, you know, tight end model. Yeah. He's got a model for every position now. And uh, you know, I have a DFS model that's also going to be hitting um, the Patreon come you know come week two probably probably won't probably won't have it for week one want to have a little bit of current nfl data but um you know so we utilize analytics heavily we also watch film all of us watch film we talk about film um so i think it's important to know that and know you're not just getting one side of the story right because a lot of analysts and just fantasy communities out there are just so tied to one and it's that's that's all they do so i think that's important yeah absolutely uh i've been doing this this is year three for me doing fantasy football like as in depth as what we're doing and not just the you know casual dynasty player but when i first started doing this in depth i was not necessarily against analytics but i just really wanted to only use film because that's what i was used to and that's kind of how i came about you know, my process on some of these guys, you know, making some of the decisions, but then over the past year and a half or so, I've started to bring analytics into it. And I get the point of analytics and Andrew has explained this to me multiple times. It's not 
an end all be all, right? It's just a way to make the bucket, you know, your dartboard smaller, so to speak. So you have a smaller group of guys that have that hit certain thresholds that have a, you know, historically speaking, these guys have a better chance of hitting than guys who don't hit these thresholds. But that doesn't mean that guys that don't hit them can't be good. So I think that's where the film comes in is because you can get, if you do both, you can pull potentially some of those guys that don't hit all the thresholds you like and that film, but you could be like, wow, this film is so good. Like this is a good football player. Like he just wasn't in a good situation or he was surrounded by, you know, crappy quarterback, just a bad offense, bad situation, what have you. So you're able to pull those guys out of that bad pool and put them into the, not necessarily good pool, but, but the maybe like definitely keep an eye on these kind of guys. And I think that's where we get an advantage. And there's definitely been some guys just even over the past two to three years that we've discussed, you know, ad nauseum. Uh, that have that have hit that have kind of come over because of that yeah absolutely that's a great way to put it it's we always want the most information we can get right and why yeah why play fantasy with one eye closed right yeah exactly and it's it, it bothers me when people chalk fantasy up to luck or you know whatever something along those lines sure there's an element of that of course, there's an element of luck and randomness, but we want to give ourselves the best odds. I think Matthew Barry used to say this. I don't follow him anymore. RIP to his ESPN career. But I think one thing I always liked that he used to say was we want to give ourselves – fantasy football is about giving ourselves the best odds to win in any given week. One week at a time, we have to give ourselves the best odds to win. And that's kind of how I look at it, right? And, I mean, of course, it's a little different for Dynasty and – different formats and stuff now but ultimately that's what we want to do so if we have all this data that's telling us this guy is a screaming value because of xyz or this guy's going to succeed because he fits this mold in terms of data etc etc why would we just ignore that at the same time i want to see the guy play i'm not just gonna you know assume just because of that that he's going to be a smash so it's just it it bewilders the mind that some people don't do one or the other. Hence the name Filmalytics. Hence the name Filmalytics. Combining uh, film and analytics to bring you the best possible results. That's right. And yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what we're committed to doing, right? This is uh, Matt and I live and breathe this stuff. So we are certainly committed to bringing you the best results. And with fantasy growing so much, we thought it would be, a great opportunity to not just bring dynasty, not just redraft, but best ball DFS Devi. So, you know, there's really something for all fantasy players. And just to take it a step further, if you want to subscribe to one tier, you're not sure about the others. The great thing about like, I've become an infinitely better fantasy manager when I started playing other formats because there's just different ways to look at things and you look at different players differently. Like your perspective just changes. Um, I'm not saying any, everybody has to go sign up for a Debbie league. I'm not even actively playing Debbie, but like just playing different types of dynasty leagues, different, you know, jumping way more into DFS and best ball um, and those strategies. So it really just kind of evolves or you evolve as a fantasy player when you do that. So I would just recommend you to, you know, check out all of our content, but 
you can just subscribe to one too. That's, that's a huge benefit to just pick which one you want to. So. Absolutely. All right, Matt, anything else you want to let the people know before we get into some player talk here? I'm ready for training camp. I am too. I feel like June was the dead month, you know, May you got, was it April? You got the draft and then everybody's, you know, hype about rookies in May. And then June is just like, it's just feels like a dead cell. But then like July starts to roll around. You're like, Oh, we're getting close. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like the other sports, like nothing's going on right now. Yeah. I used to follow baseball. I don't anymore. It hurts my, like, it's just, like I said, nothing's going on right now. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing that I can think of is being played right now. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, it's. I think it just makes it even more like feel even more dead, just because like the sports world is just like so quiet. And then yeah, there's just not as much going on in terms of football. But we are getting close to training camp and drafts are heating up. I mentioned best ball, tons of best ball drafting, but there's plenty of startup dynasty drafting. Um, a lot of people have had their rookie drafts. Some leagues still haven't. So I mean, there's still just a lot of. I, I you know we always would say like draft season, right? When you're, when fantasy football drafts are rolling around, but that's, that's the whole off season now. That's, uh, that's what's great about fantasy football now, um, among other things, but it's always draft season, baby. So with that, um, we looked at some ADPs and picked some of our favorite players that are going later, essentially. Um, outside, outside top 40. Outside top 40 um, at their position. I mean, I guess I sort of cheated. I took an, well, it's okay. It's a good pick. Yeah. It's, it's like, a good pick and it's real close to 40, but um, this is based on dynasty startup ADP, but we are talking about them having a chance to finish top 24 at their position this year. Um, but, you know, so, I mean, you can take this with dynasty and redraft. It kind of relevant to both, right? We, we just think that these guys could see, a tremendous jump this year, essentially. So with that, Matt, um, the floor is yours. You may start the discussion and reveal your first player. So the first guy I'm going to talk about, I've been talking about quite a bit this offseason, and that's Kenny Gainwell. And when I wrote my piece earlier this year on why you should be buying him, he had an ADP of running back 51 and now we're all the way up to running back 45. So we're moving in the right direction, but at a snail's pace. And there is a legitimate chance that he finishes in the top 24, and I actually do believe he does. For starters, let's start with the fact that the staff, as recently reported, asked him to bulk up. He's now reportedly at 215 pounds. He came into the league at 5'9", 200, which, you know, you see that 200 mark, so at least you're there. But now he is 5'9", 215, while Miles Sanders is 5'11", at 2'11". So even though Sanders does have two inches on him, Gainwell outweighs him. So Gainwell is now this mini tank who in my I think is very fast compared to Miles Sanders. And this offense went out and traded for A.J. Brown. This Eagles offense went out and got A.J. Brown. So this tells me that they are, one, expecting Hurts to make a jump, and two, they're not going to be as run-heavy as they were last year over the last eight games they started out on the far left going super super pass heavy then uh around week eight after the tampa bay game there i believe it was their week seven and their pie week somewhere in there then they went to all the way to the far right and going super run heavy 
So now I think we're going to see a regression back to somewhere in the middle, maybe like a 60-40 split pass run ratio, because I, I truly believe that the Eagles staff wants to throw the football. And I definitely know that the owner does because he's been very outspoken about it. So you have Kenny Gainwell, whose bread and butter is pass catching. And one of the fastest ways to become a three down running back is in pass pro. And last year, Kenny Gainwell ranked first in pass pro among the entire 21 rookie class and eighth in the entire NFL. That's at minimum 90 snaps. Uh, he had 50 targets as a rookie. Uh, he had red zone usage. Six of his seven TDs came in the red zone. He had six games with 12-plus PPR points, eighth in PFF receiving grade, eighth in PFF pass blocking grade. And like I said, he's still going at RB45. Miles Sanders had an interview recently where he basically said, this office doesn't really function around me, revolve around me. Don't, don't draft me in fantasy. Now, I know some people are being like, oh, you know, he's just saying that he's still the running back one. I, I, just, I just don't believe he is. I don't know why the staff goes out and says, hey, we need you to put on 15 pounds. We want you to be a bigger part of the offense. The year after, Nick Sirianni went into the 2021 draft and said the one guy I cannot leave this draft without is Kenny Gainwell. And I I understand when they drafted him, it was gonna he was going to be their quote-unquote Naheem Hines. But I think we're approaching a point now where Kenny Gainwell is probably going to be a lot more than what Naheem Hines is and Indianapolis. I think he has a chance to be a legitimate, complete running three down running back because he's already good at pass pro. So he's going to be on third downs and he's going to be on third downs anyway, because he's the much better pass, uh, pass catching back. So as long as he can work on his between the tackles, which he got his weight up 15 pounds to do one of the best offensive lines in the league, you know, the ends are going to read Jalen with the, his threat, his legs and his threat to run. There's going to be a lot of open lanes for Gainwell to hit. There could be a lot of home run plays on the ground through Gainwell. So at RB45, I mean, this is a screaming buy for someone to finish in the top 24. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add because you covered it, but he's one of the more – I mean, you just look at who's going in this range, right, is what I'm getting at, like – Tyler Algier, who I like, but he's an unproven rookie, right? Michael Carter, he does, he's a factor, but he's going to be behind Brees Hall. I mean, Kenneth Gainwell is the only guy in this range that I think can take over this backfield, at least young player, right? And even then, I mean, Melvin Gordon's down there, but he's pretty much over the hill and behind Javante. Um, Daryl Henderson, we saw him get a shot, like, Ronald Jones. I mean, yeah. Kenneth Gainwell should not be going as RB 45. And I don't know, I guess I don't know why he is like, I don't know what the perception or argument against him is considering it's not like the Eagles drafted another running back. It's not like Sanders had a great season last year. It's not like, you know, he's, he didn't play a role and get on the field as a rookie. Like, I don't know. His, yeah, their last game of the year, there was a mixed bag of starters for offensive defense against it was at home against Dallas. And Miles Sanders sat that game in preparation for their wildcard game at Tampa. And Kenny Gainwell played that game. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, he had oh, what was it? 
it was like 11 carries for 70 yards and five targets, four catches for like 18 yards, something like that, and a touchdown. So he had a relatively good game against, you know, it was it was semi-starter Dallas defense, but again, it was semi-starter Dallas. Oh, like he he did his part. Yeah, I I liked him coming out too. I had him right there with Travis Etienne, honestly. And I I think he I was RB four in that class. Yeah, yeah. You had him as RB four, or he oh, at RB four? Yeah, you had because you had Najee, Etienne, no. No, I had Javante, Najee. I think yeah, I had yeah, I had Javante, Najee, Etienne, and Gainwell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. But yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I liked him coming out. I think sometimes people, especially at the running back position, like if you're not drafted within the first couple of rounds, like people just hold this grudge against you. Like you have to – I mean, it's like, you know, the James Robinson effect, the – We'll see that's the thing. That's that's what makes him so appealing. Is uh, you're talking about this in the Discord. You know, Justin Ross is not your ordinary UDFA, right? I don't believe that Kenny Gainwell is your ordinary day three running back. He played one season at Memphis, and he had over two thousand scrimmage yards, over fourteen hundred rush yards, and over six hundred receiving yards. He was the Memphis offense, and then he didn't play in twenty twenty because of COVID. So he only has like was it fourteen, fifteen, sixteen games on his resume. And I don't count the four games from his freshman year because he barely touched the ball. So you really only have one season of tape and production to go off of. And then he sat out and then he got drafted. So I'm in my mind, I'm thinking like this guy probably puts up similar production again in 2020. And then you have a 5,000 all yard purpose back, you know, in two years coming out of Memphis. It's probably a round two guy. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's insane production in two years. So I don't, I get it, but I don't get it. I just, I think this is a player that people aren't just doing enough research on. I just think it's like fifth round pick, you know, he was tiny last year. The him gaining 15 pounds is not super well known. I mean, James Cook is going as running back 28 and they already said that he's only going to be used on passing downs. That is, that's where Kenny Gainwell should be going. I, as I was looking at the ADPs, he's somebody that I I literally stopped and just scoffed at. I cannot believe I, James Cook is going that high. And it's not even a knock on James Cook. It's just more like the the Bills have come out and said he's not going to be an every down guy. Right. He's going to be playing primarily wide receiver. And then the Eagles are like, we're going to pass the ball more than we did the second half of last year. Uh, Miles Sanders came out and said, don't draft me. And then Gainwell just – gain 15 pounds just because no the eagles want to use him as their guy so again rb45 prices is just it's the dollar store here yeah totally and that's i mean these guys that we're talking about today are going so late you don't have to invest a ton generally and especially in gainwell it's just uh it's worth worth the upside there for sure um matt i bet you have no idea who my first guy is there's nobody i've been talking about all off season pretty sure you got his name tattooed on you <laughs> across my forehead that name would be Kadarius tony going as wide receiver 50 which is the most shocking adp to me uh, in the history of adps 
since ADP has been tracked, it is, according to our research, the most shocking. Um, Guy was a first round pick. He was 17th in the NFL in yards per route run with 2.13 as a rookie. He was seventh in targets per route run at 29%. And he was sixth in targets per snap with 19.1% as a rookie. That doesn't happen often for rookies, but he missed some time, right? So you look at those, like, why are, why does targets per route run matter? That doesn't give me fantasy points, right? But what it shows is that the guy, when he's on the field, he's commanding targets. A, he gets open. B, the team features him and wants to get him the ball. He's a big part of their offense or what what they want to do. Now, obviously, there's a new coaching staff, but it, it's not about that. It's more about his talent shines so much that they want to give him the ball, make him a big part of the offense. So the next question is, okay, if his – you know, if his efficiency is really good like that, he's commanding these targets. Why, you know, why didn't he finish higher, et cetera, et cetera? Well, he missed some time last year, obviously. And that is the main concern I have with him is he was banged up a lot. But I would rather, when you look at a guy and you see, you know, big efficiency numbers, high targets per route run, et cetera, and you wonder why he wasn't on the field more, I would rather know, okay, it's because he was banged up some rather than he's just a specialty type of player, like um, like Rondell Moore or something, right? Like who is just like a speedy situational guy. I mean, he might play in the slot this year more consistently. I don't know. But that my point is that he when he was active and healthy, he was on the field. Um, and I think – People have a little bit of – there was just this narrative around him that he didn't deserve to be a first-round pick, and I I didn't think he did either, to be honest with you. But he was, like, and two teams wanted him. Granted, one was Urban Meyer, and he foolishly admitted it publicly, which was silly. But still, I mean, teams coveted Kadarius Tony, And then you should just watch – I mean, just go watch the film and what he did on tape. I think – the biggest critique or or concern I had with this game was route running. I mean, man, he turned that into a strength. I always share or talk about that clip against Trayvon Diggs where he just absolutely cooks him and just turns him, you know, and just puts him in a blender. And he just turned him all the way around and made him look foolish out there. Tony's so quick. He's so electric. Uh, he moved he, – he played in the slot and outside, so he – he moves around the field. He's not just a slot guy, anything like that, like, you know, some had projected of him. Um, I just think th- there's no clear established number one wide receiver on this team, right? So there's an opportunity here for somebody to take over. I also kind of think the Giants are a sneaky offense. Like, they have a chance to really turn up on offense. I know Daniel Jones is kind of a joke at times, but – He's like, he's the best of the bad quarterbacks. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's, I'd like that. Yeah. He's, he's not good, but he's like, I don't want anyone in this group, but if I had to pick one, it's Daniel Jones. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And so, you know, with Dabble there and, and um, you know, Saquon back healthy, they added some offensive linemen. 
uh, spent some, you know, really invested in, in the offensive line and the offense as a whole. And, and nobody there to really, you know, I think maybe call, maybe Galladay can become a value. Like I get that, but it's going to be Galladay, Tony on the outside with, that's the other thing. Wondell Robinson has gotten a lot of love, which is the weirdest thing to me. The dude is going to be a part-time slot player. He's going to probably start in the slot only because Sterling Shepard might not be healthy. I think he's going to rotate. If both are healthy, I think he's going to rotate with Sterling Shepard in the slot. And then Galladay and Kadarius Tony are going to be on the outside. I have read and heard so many things about, oh, well, this and that about Tony. And now they went out and drafted this Wondell Robinson, who is just, you know, another version of him and just like him. So that really just shows that they hate Tony. Wanda Robinson is not like Kadarius Tony. So please don't say that, Matt. I know you probably have something to say. Just please don't say that. I was, oh, the only thing I was going to say was that uh, the athletic and then I think Hayden Winks, no, it was ESPN had an article out and Hayden Winks quote tweeted it and said that Dabble or one of the staff members said that Tony and Galladay are battling for the number one outside spot and that Wandale is going to be a full-time slot player. There you go. So, Which and then, and then I don't yeah. know how anybody thought that Wandale was going to take Tony's job. And you and me have talked about it for, geez, for months now that teams are in three wide receiver sets now at such high percentages. So all three of those guys could be on the yeah. field at the same time. Yep. That I, is yeah. True. You don't have I'm, to. I'm not in love with Tony as much as you are, but I get the appeal. Yeah. I just, my, my, my biggest hurdle is just, you know, new staff like the staff. Cause you know, there's a track record of them being really, really good. Very offensive minded, very creative. Don't know if I'm a big Daniel Jones believer. Got Galladay there. who's getting paid a lot. This staff didn't draft Tony, you know, went out and got one Dale. So I think it's, for me, I think it's a lot of you have you're betting on Tony getting it together and being like, no, I'm I'm the dude that belongs here, as opposed to like, no, the staff drafted this guy, he's gonna get another chance, that kind of thing. Like Brian Dabble is not that kind of guy, you know. Right. He worked with Nick Saban. If there's a slip up, you know, maybe you get a slap on the wrist, but you know, second, third time, I mean, your ass is out the door. Yeah, I made the comment to a friend the other day that it's he's either going to be a superstar or he's going to be Martavis Bryant. Like, that's kind of how I see it. I mean, Martavis Bryant was very talented. He just never was like, could really put it all together. And he was basically a moron off the field. So, one, one of my absolute other loves is George Pickens. And I've been saying the same thing this guy's going to be an all pro or he's going to be out of the league. Yeah. There's no, guys, there's no in between. Some guys just have that. And that that's, I mean, hey, that's fair concern. But at wide receiver 50, are you kidding me? If you just looked at his. Yeah, who else is going there? Let me see. If you just looked at his resume, a first round pick, um, you know, all those data points and, and stats that I lift, listed off and looked at like some of the film, you would just be like, man, like this guy's a wide receiver one, two, maybe not one, but, you know, wide receiver two kind of got like, this is not wide receiver 50 material. So I'm looking at him right now on my breakout model for wide receivers, and he only missed three of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight thresholds that they have. So he was five for eight. Um, 
Let's see here. His receiving yards was 420, and the number I like to see is 500. Yep. His routes run were 218, and that's really low, but a lot yep. of that is because of injury. He just didn't, he just wasn't on the field, period. And then his success rate versus man is 52.1% off of Matt Harmon's reception perception, which is also a very, very low number. But that's kind of not his thing. He's more of a zone player anyway. Wait, what was – can you say that again? Uh, As win rate versus man? 52.1%. Huh. What is – like, because <laughs> sometimes I don't – player profiler, I don't know, but – when they have win rate versus man at like, like what differs? It's forty point three percent, which is supposedly number eighteenth amongst wide receivers, but that cannot be accurate. Well, I'll pull it up. It's what I have written down. Well, Kadarius no, Tony. Yeah, Kadarius Tony success man success rate versus man coverage is fifty two point one percent, and that ranks. There was only three wide receivers that did worse than him last year. Juju, oh, wow. DJ Shark, and Terrace Marshall. So he's fourth from the bottom. Okay. Uh, but then if we go to success rate versus zone, he's at 80%, and he's he barely misses. So he's he gets the the misses the green check mark by 0.1%, but he's it looks like here just eyeballing this top 15 in that. Gotcha. It's probably just at a different evaluation method of how they right. determine and define win rate versus man. I was just curious because that that just hey, that's a big difference. But that's I mean Matt Harmon. No, I mean he created a very successful uh, reception perception. Right. So that's that's a concern. I, the last. So w- what I was gonna say quick on my right. breakout model was that I have him marked as a tier two guy. It's not a guy I'm like rushing out to buy, but if the opportunity comes along, I think you should jump on it. That's kind of where I'm at. It's not like have to have him. But it's like, you know, he's a throw in or let's discuss a deal about somebody else. Hey, what if I could what could I also do for Tony? You know, he's a he's a value buy for me. I have specifically gone out and purchased him in every single league of mine. So I cannot relate to you there. If you um, <laughs> but I get it. Um, the last thing I was going to say is it, I referenced the injuries and, and you also referenced that he was banged up in college, too. So that is another concern. One thing I always try to do in terms of injuries, I think. Oftentimes we're too quick just in terms of like the fantasy community or just football fans in general to label guys as um, injury prone. I mean, there are guys like Keenan Allen. He was a big injury prone guy. He's always hurt. He's always hurt. He's been healthy and consistent for many years now. Um, I think it's hard for these rookies coming into the NFL. Hard for young guys, you know, college, your body's kind of still developing. You're, getting used to just kind of growing into SEC football. But, you know, first year in the NFL, I mean, these guys hit harder, they're faster, et cetera. So I think uh, just the, the NFL training helps these guys, helps these guys' bodies and, you know, ultimately stay healthy. So I'm yeah, I, concerned about the injuries, but I'm willing to wait and see on that. Yeah, and I'm, I've actually – there was, somebody had a tweet about this or a thread on it and I thought it was really good. The, just because you're injured in college doesn't mean you're going to be injured in the NFL. Yeah. Just, so I'm not reading too much into that, but it is also one of those things, you know, a little bit kind of like what I was saying last year with Travis Etienne, you know, just a lot of your rookie year, which is kind of like a really important year. 
Um, and year two is also big. So if he misses a lot of this year, it's going to be kind of like, well, I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. And that's, but yeah, but like you said, at wide receiver 50, I'm, I'm looking here at this list. Let's see here. Gallup is right behind him. Maybe probably like Gallup, but you know, he's not, he doesn't have the upside. I mean, who has, honestly, we said top 24, have a path to top 24. I mean, how many guys in this range? I think he has a path to like top 15. I mean, that might be crazy, but like, I don't like nobody in this range, I think has near as high of a ceiling as he does. So I'll go Gallup, Renfro, Bell, Mechie, Pierce, who went behind him, Lazard. None of those guys go in front. Lockett, Hopkins, Thielen, Kirk, Michael Thomas. Um, I yeah, feel, like, you get I feel like I feel like Christian Kirk might be the only one that has a chance. But other than that, I would I would agree. Don't give away, don't give away my future answers. Um, Wasn't giving away anything. <laughs> I know I gave it away by saying that. Um, I was also going to say 80, going back to 2011, 86% of top 24 wide receiver seasons happened in a, or they're, sorry, I butchered this. Going back to 2011, 86% of a player's first wide receiver two season or better happened in their second season. I so believe that. That's, that's where you see the big jump, right? So, well, yeah, somebody did a study too. I, I still have that picture on my phone. Players, and this goes for for most players in general. Going from year one to year two, you see a pretty big jump, and then from year two to year three, you see another decent sized jump, and then going into year four is generally when a player is like, okay, this this is what they are. Yeah. So so if Tony takes a big leap this year, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that going into year three is just like go take it up another notch. Same with all these guys we're going to talk about. Yeah, exactly. That's that's true. That's why we picked him. I just, I mean, wide receiver fifty, man, he could be going wide receiver you know if he does have that kind of year he's going insanely high next year compared to this so so what did when you went out and traded for him what'd you pay mm, well i paid on my most recent deal i paid gallup and Fryermuth. is that a premium tight end premium no so okay i like that that's fine yeah that was that was cheaper than i thought i could get him um Gosh, what I bought him in season in a couple leagues. I can't remember now, but I was I was trying to get him for like I was willing to give up a first round pick for him. Would you give him a 23, 23 one, just anywhere? Because obviously we don't know. I I when I'm trading a first, unless I know the other person's roster, what their plan is, I generally value it around the eight spot. So would you give up like the one oh eight for Tony? Yeah, I probably like once we get to like five ish, five, six. And, you know, I'm not a Debbie guy. Like, I don't know the prospects as well, but I'm familiar with obviously the big names. And I know it's I mean, they are very appealing. So that's 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 a tough one for sure. Typically, I'm I'm always a contender. Like, I'm not saying that because I'm the best fantasy manager. Yeah. Pat myself on the back here, guys, you can't see, but. No, but I'm just saying that because I'm always trying to compete and contend. So for me, I'm always like, I'm, one of my friends that I'm in like three leagues with tells me every time we talk trades, he's like, I just automatically value your pick as 12. And I'm like, well, that's not fair. But he's like, I just do just because like, there's just not as much upside with your pick versus like some other people. So like, if I'm trading my pick, like, yes, I am. But if it's 
if I'm like eh, somewhere in the middle, a little hesitation, but sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Now that we turn this into the Kadarius Tony show, sorry, I could, I could talk about him forever. Um, you have a pretty enticing wide receiver up next. That's going even way later. Yeah. You, you were saying wide receivers 50 is criminal. How about wide receiver 83, Nico Collins? Absurd. That makes me want to vomit. (laughs) This is, this is, this situation has shades of Michael Pittman written all over it. I talked so much last season about how when you're getting in your startup drafts or whatever your draft that you're doing, underdog, what have you, you get to a certain point and you're looking at these guys, you're like, who is left on the board specifically at the wide receiver position that has legit alpha one upside and Michael Pittman, man, I don't remember what it was. It might've been wide receiver 46 or 51, somewhere in that range last year. I was like, why, why he's the number one. And Nico Collins is going 40 picks later than what Pittman was last year at this, at this point in time at wide receiver 83. Now there, there's a difference here. Texans have Brandon cooks. So it's, it's not like Pittman has a chance to be the one, now Collins and Cooks are very different players, so they're not going to eat into each other's target shares by by any means at all. But this is what gets me really excited: is that when Lovey Smith got hired, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I was a little disappointed because I remember his days in Chicago. It was a lot of run the ball. Uh, I believe Brandon Marshall was there, or no, excuse me, uh, as Alshon and Jeffrey, right? Brandon Marshall and then Alshon yep. Jeffrey. Yep. And it was a lot of just, you know, the one big wide receiver. And I'm like, you know, I could be Nico, but again, Brandon Cooks is there. And Mills and Cooks had this great chemistry last year. Then they hired Pep Hamilton. And that's when I got excited. So Pep Hamilton was the offensive coordinator for the Colts for three years, 2013, 2014, 2015. He had Andrew Luck, a little bit better than Davis Mills. And then he was the quarterback coach in 2020 for the Los Angeles Chargers, Justin Herbert's rookie year helped Herbert to a fantastic season. Now, when Pep Hamilton calls plays, this is what happens to the wide receivers. In 2013, the Colts ranked 15 in wide receiver targets. In 2014, they were sixth. And in 2015, they were second. In 2013, the reception rank for wide receivers, they were 16th, 9th, and 7th. Receiving yards, 2013, 19th, 14, 7th, 15, 3rd. So, people... it would go even deeper. We'll go PPR rank here. Uh, the wide receiver group as a whole in 2013 was 18th. In 2014, it was eighth. And in 2015, it was third. In 2020, when he was the quarterback's coach for the Chargers, the Chargers were fifth in the league in pass attempts per game at 39.2. Pep Hamilton throws the freaking football. That's, that is what he does. And there have been reports that they want Davis Mills to throw more this year because as we were talking about a minute ago, the 2023 QB class is very enticing. Could be seven guys, could be two guys. Regardless, there's a handful of guys that look, you know, have the potential to all be first round picks right now. Two of them for sure that we know in Young and Stroud. So they want to find out what Mills has before they go into 2023, because odds are they have probably have a top five pick, top 10 pick, where they're going to be in a position to draft one of these potentially high end first round QBs next year. So they have been saying that Mills is going to throw the football more than he did last year. He feels more comfortable this year. They need to see what he has. Mills has come out and said, Nico Collins needs the ball more. 
Reports have indicated that Collins was hands down the best player in Texans camp uh, a month ago. Again, no pads. I want to see the pads come on. But what that does tell me is that the arrow is pointing in the right direction. He put on, I think it was 10 pounds of weight, worked with Mills a lot in the offseason to get faster, stronger. So I'm excited about that. And then I want to circle back to the shades of Pittman, okay? And Pittman's rookie year, he had 60 receptions. Nico Collins had 61. Pittman had 503 yards. Nico Collins had 446. Uh, Pittman had 4.6 targets per game. Nico Collins had 4.4. Pittman uh, was 1.43 yards per route run. Collins was 1.31. Routes run was 367 to 383 in favor of Collins. Target share was 13.8% to 13.6% in favor of Pittman. Uh, The targets per route run. Pittman had 16.3%. Collins had 15.9%. And then here's the really the only true discrepancy in their profile. The success rate versus man for Pittman was 71.6, which is above the 71% threshold that Matt Harmon has labeled on his reception perception. Uh, He compared Pittman to Allen Robinson. That's turned out to be a very big hit so far. And Collins was at 68%. And Matt Harmon has comped them to a poor man's version of T. Higgins. Wide receiver 83, right off the top. That is ridiculous for someone who could be the Texans' alpha one. Cooks is getting older. I understand he signed an extension. He has concussion history. They traded up last year to draft Collins. They gave up three picks, three picks to come up into the third round last year and get him. That's a lot of draft capital for someone like him. So I'm all in on Nico. I haven't decided if I'm going to actually put him on my all-in all list, though. Um, for some reason, I'm hesitant, and I don't know why. But I drafted him last year at the 210 spot, the early third, in anticipation for this year two breakout. And it, it looks eerily similar to Michael Pittman. But I think a little bit like Pittman again, it's going to hang on that quarterback play. Is Davis Mills going to do enough? Is he going to throw enough? Is he is he going to take that year two step like they want him to? I don't know. It's possible. It's possible he doesn't. So we'll have to wait and see. But I know that Houston loves Collins and Davis Mills said we need to get him the ball often. Yeah, I do think people underrate Davis Mills. I think he he was one of the better quarterbacks rookie quarterbacks in the league last year um he obviously doesn't have the upside that many of those other guys do but you made good points with pep hamilton and um i think people just assume the texans offense is a wasteland which they're gonna struggle but i think that passing game will be all right you know it's the running game that i worry about there's a very realistic chance that he is his year this year looks a lot like Pittman's did last year just above a thousand receiving yards and like four or five touchdowns. And that would put him just inside the top 24, but Pat Pittman at 17 last year. But I think you take off a few touchdowns and probably a few receptions because of the depth of target. Uh, Collins is not as good in the yak as what Pittman is. Pittman is one of the best in the league at yards after the catch, which is kind of amazing for someone his size, but that's, that's not really what Collins does. But again, I, I don't think I don't think that's a bold take. I know 
what was it? The Establish the Run podcast, one of those guys. Mm-hmm. I forget who it was. That was their bold take of the year was Nico Collins over 1,000 yards. And I don't think that's bold. I think that's well within the range of outcomes. I think it was Adam Levitan. Um, yeah. I saw that too. And yeah, I'm with you. I did acquire him recently in a league. Let me tell you this just real quick before we move on. Um, you know, I like Alexander Madison a bit as like a backup running back. He's not on this list, spoiler alert, but um, I like him as like a backup running back. And I think he's talented and he's going to be a free agent, et cetera. But I just finished, I just completed a three team deal and they asked me to throw in Nico Collins and get um, Alexander Madison back. And I said, no, so I'm not doing that. So I thought you would uh, be proud of me for that. Cause you know, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm always just kind of sucker. Here's the kicker too. If Davis Mills sucks, they're going to land CJ Stroud or Bryce yeah. Young. Yeah. So, so at the end of this year, we're either there, there's only two scenarios that, that we need to be talking about. Scenario one is Davis Mills is that dude. Nico Collins is that dude. Or the second scenario is, can somebody please get Nico a quarterback? If we're saying either one of those things, then it's wheels up. Yep. Yep. I like, I like Collins a lot. I, he might have been. He, I mean, at that price, he would have been on my list for sure if he wasn't yours. Are, you, are you still taking people's Jones over him? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <clears throat> Actually, I mean, the other Michigan wide receiver. Yeah. No. Gosh, that is that's a bad take. Looking back, that's a bad take. But um, I think people's Jones has. I mean, there's some things to be excited about this year, but yeah, no. I mean, he's not. I'm yeah, easily Nico. So. Uh, you crushed me on that take, but uh, I'll get you on the. It's it's Michigan Paris in Tony. general. That, yeah. I think Peoples Jones is a good wide receiver. It's just more so the situation and everything that's going on. Cooper got traded there. They got Bell. We don't know what's going on at quarterback. So yeah, and so forth. And he's a, he's a big play guy. He he has a really high um, a dot. And I mean, if it's like Jacoby Brissett, like he he's not gonna. <laughs> he's the ultimate like late round best ball target. Cause you could yeah. get two catches for 90 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. That's so like true. that. That could be people's jumps. So yeah, exactly. So who's your second guy? My second guy is, um, Ramondre Stevenson going as RB 37. This is what I mentioned was, you know, just snuck inside that 40 range. But, uh, when we're talking running backs, obviously it's, it's tougher when you get down the board wide receivers a little different because three of them are on the field so often and there's it's a passing league and et cetera, et cetera. It's harder for, you know, to find these late round, later round running backs. Um, but even in this range, I mean, I don't see how Stevenson is going where he is. I think it's probably the perceived, the perceived committee, right? He's a wrong, on the wrong side of a committee back. He's sharing this backfield and he's not the starter, et cetera, et cetera. But gosh, I mean, so many guys are just sharing like i mean we've talked before about workhorses and guys being on the field more and etc but there's just multiple backs are utilized within an offense these days like it's just the way it is and what i like a lot about stevenson besides some of the other numbers i'll get into is the fact that he looked really good as a pass catcher i think most people thought of him like he's not the fastest you know his combine numbers didn't uh really wow anybody in terms of his athleticism but he has like really soft hands he's he catches the ball he's also like quick like deceptively quick his, so his lateral agility for someone his size is yeah it's um 
it's it, unusual. You think of him as like kind of this bulldozer, like kind of a grinded out guy, but he's quick. He has some finesse to him and, you know, he, he has good hands. He can catch the ball. So with that, I know, Matt, we talked about um, the Patriots had mentioned wanting him to, to work on just being a third down back. And he actually was asked the other day kind of what his focus has been this offseason. And he, he said, I've been working on being a pass catcher, you know, catching passes out of the backfield and, and doing all that, that, that work. And this is a team, I mean, Damian Harris, he is not utilizing the passing game at all. He's Damian Harris is also going to be a free agent next year, but I mean, they don't use him on passing downs at all. So that right, right there, there's an immediate opportunity when we talk about, you know, split backfield and stuff like that. But also he was pretty effective in terms of, catching passes already as a rookie and Belichick doesn't really throw rookies in there, especially on like third downs to like protect for the quarterback. It, Belichick trusted him to do that. You know, he, he played on some of those downs already last year. So if he's are, if he's working towards that and becoming, you know, a better version of himself on third down, I really like that opportunity. Um, and James White, they re-signed him, but he's coming off a major injury. There's no guarantees that he's going to be back this year, and he's also ancient. So he uh, he, who knows what he's going to be this year. Um, I like Pierre Strong a bit, but he's a you know later rookie kind of guy. So I just think there's a lot of opportunity here. And when you just look at the rookie year he had, he was the highest graded rookie by PFF at 81.1, which was also just tenth highest in the league. He was fourth in Juke rate at 35.4%. Um, the, the games that Harris missed, uh, Stevenson rushed 30 times for 136 yards in those games, the two games. He also was 12th in yards after contact per attempt and eighth in yards per route run, 15th in yards created per touch with 3.09. The guy can do it all. He's a big bruising. I mean, I want to like look at him and think like Marshawn Lynch just because he kind of has the same. I mean, he's not Marshawn Lynch, to be clear. He kind of has the same body build and, you know, just like the dreads and stuff. But I mean, Marshawn Lynch was kind of had some quickness to him, too. But Stevenson is just like he's pretty to watch, man. Like he's just got that finesse. He'll run you the F over on one play and on the next he'll juke you and, you know, go right around you. So um, I like guys like that. And and yeah, with Harris set to be a free agent after the year, I like him a lot long-term in dynasty, but I think he could definitely carve out a, a top 24 RB finish this year. Absolutely. And let's, let's, let's circle back and talk about J- uh, James Cook at RB 28. Like what? Still? <laughs> yeah, that's Andre Stevenson. Give S- S- Devin Singletary, Pierce, Hunt, Edmonds, Rashad White, Damian Harris. I want I want Stevenson over all those guys. I was gonna say over Miles. Well, Tony Pollard, uh, maybe. Probably still Stevenson, but maybe. Yeah, that's close. I would still take Stevenson, but that's I I want Stevenson over Sanders, Cook, CEH, Josh Jacob. All these guys. Yep. Yeah. It's and and I mean and we and we know they like to run the football. They like to, yeah, so I was going to say, he's supposedly, Belichick is having way more control. I mean, they brought in Joe Judge to be their offensive coordinator, who's a special teams coach. Belichick wants to have his 
little fingerprints all over the offense. So you know they're going to run crap out of the ball, especially with – I mean, Mac Jones had a great rookie year, but the, they didn't draft him to sling it. No, he's not, know, and he's not a, not a mobile quarterback. Yeah. They, they run stretch zone, inside zone, all that stuff. So and, – and if they get up 14, 17 on you, they're just going to run, 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 run. Yeah, just like that snow game last – I mean – yeah, against the Bills, I think they only passed. What was it twice, three times, yeah. something like that? Yeah, yeah. So, love Stevenson. He's a guy I've, I've been trying to get everywhere too. We got one more each, Matt. Let's uh, we can pump through these ones a little quicker. But I know this has been a a guy of yours historically, so don't uh, you know, don't rush too much through this. I wanna I wanna get all the all the takes. Oh, he's pulling the jersey out, man. I didn't know you had that. Yeah, I do. I have several of I have several different ones. But Chase Claypool, year three. He was year one all in guy of mine. Finished as a wide receiver 24 his rookie year as the third option. Sophomore year last sophomore year last year uh, was the third option, but then turned into the second option because Juju missed a lot of the year. What was it broken ankle, I believe it was, or broken arm, something like that. I forget what it was, but he was no. This is his arm. And year two didn't go as well as year one did, in a sense. As the second option, he should have been better than what he was, but he wasn't. Uh, His rookie year, he had 109 targets. Uh, His sophomore year, he had 105. His rookie year, he had 62 receptions. Sophomore year, he had 59. Rookie year, 873 to 860 in yards. But the real difference this year is his rookie year, he had nine receiving touchdowns, only two last year. So from a statistical standpoint, the only thing that's different is the touchdowns, which therefore didn't reflect in the points per game and the total finish for Claypool. But other than that, he was the same, which I'm not sure is a good thing. Because you want to see a guy take a step forward, and he had that opportunity with Juju being out. Now, I do get that Big Ben is bad, man. Look, Mitchell Trubisky's probably bad, but he's better than Big Ben. At least this he can is, throw it down. This, this is again like the the of this group, you know, the the Steelers quarterback room. I want you know Trubisky yeah. because he's the worst. He's the best of the worst. Yeah. So, agree. Think Pickett's probably going to start at some point this year. I think. Uh, one of our Discord members dropped this last year, and it was like Jordan Love, I believe, is the only first round quarterback in like the last 20 years to have never started his rookie season, even if it's just one game. Because I mean, Trey, hell, Trey Lance started two and a half games last year, or whatever it was. I think, I think I posted something like that. Maybe, I didn't yeah, it maybe is you. I, I just, I just remember seeing that. So I think it's safe to assume that Kenny Pickett will probably start at some point this year. I don't know when that'll be because he is still working with the third stringers trubisky has been very good in camp thus far again no pads but the arrow seems to be pointing up as him to being the full-time starter that being said though we have one year of good clay pool and one year of bad clay pool so what is chase claypool i think year three we're gonna get really good chase claypool because according to uh, multiple reporters in the athletic uh, during the OTAs a few weeks ago, he with Deontay Johnson did did not sh- attend uh, because of contract dispute. Uh, he was there. He was treated as the wide receiver one. 
He was vocal. He was a leader. He was focused. He looked good. He stayed after practice. He got there early. He did everything you want out of your wide receiver one. And players were looking towards him and looking up, you know, towards him as, as sort of a leader. So I understand the shenanigans that went down last year, especially in that Minnesota game. It, it's it's tough because you're like, oh, you know, they celebrated after a first down with the running clock and no timeouts. They needed to get a touchdown to win the game or to tie the game, whatever it was. And it's like, oh, you're such an idiot. But I'm like, also at the same time, it's like, yeah, that's stupid. I wouldn't do that. But the Steelers, if you remember that drive, the Steelers also wouldn't have been in that position without both of the catches Claypool had. One of them to get the first down, and the other was some ridiculous over-the-shoulder sideline catch, you know, 30, 40 yards downfield. So it's it's kind of – it's the yin and the yang. It's like you see really good, like, oh, my God, this guy's so good. And then he makes one really stupid decision. So – Well, and at least, you know, I'd rather have – a decision like that question and be like okay like probably lapse in judgment like just just blank mind for a moment or whatever i suppose like he's not out there with like <laughs> legal issues and like just all these red flags exactly. you know in terms of that so again i'm i'm looking here at matt Harmon's reception perception and he, he came down off of his rookie year really solid rookie year air was pointing up and then kind of kind of cooled off a little bit here in his sophomore year some of his routes on the top of the route tree, uh, the corner, the nine, the post, and the dig were not good. The rest of them were pretty good, though, uh, all, all in the greens. So for me, when I look at this, I, I've been telling people this. I, I think Deontay Johnson probably still has more targets than Chase Claypool, but I think Chase Claypool finishes higher. And Deontay Johnson over the past couple of years has been also, again, one of the guys I was all in for in 2020. That was Johnson and Claypool, both my guys. But Johnson has been an extension of the run game because of the lack of arm strength and the lack of throwing ability Big Ben has had over the past two years. So Johnson was asked to do a lot of underneath, a lot of quick stuff, just get the ball in your hands and work because he's also one of the league's best route runners, a little bit like Tony, very shifty in space, can make guys miss. Claypool, on the other hand, it's not it's not really his bread and butter type of skill set. He's more of a medium to deep part of the field kind of guy uh you know on third and 10 you know you get need a quick comeback route that that kind of guy you know sure-handed big play and ben just couldn't couldn't get the ball out you know and the o-line was bad no arm strength etc etc so his route tree was hindered but also at the same time deontay johnson's route tree was hindered to being shorter even though he's good at running deep so now this year you have a guy that can make all the throws or if he can't, then Pickett might be able to. So you have two guys that at least have the arm strength to push the ball downfield, right? And right. both Deontay and Claypool's route trees will open. Claypool will finally be able to work downfield, hopefully successfully, with a quarterback throwing it down there. And Deontay Johnson won't have to run all these short, skimpy routes all the time. He'll also be able to work towards the middle of the field and deeper into deeper parts of the field, which he hasn't been able to do, again, because of Big Ben holding this offense back. So because of that, I think... Claypool's targets comes up close to Deontay. And I think he outscores Deontay. It's one of my bold takes of the year. I, I think Claypool finishes higher than Deontay because of the big playability, because of the probable touchdowns, uh, higher amount of touchdowns that he will score over Deontay. They've already been talking about how they want to move him. They've been playing. He's been practicing at all three positions uh, at wide receiver. 
he's going to play a lot more slot uh, that they've been wanting to do, but they haven't been able to do it. So I think Claypool's in for a big year. His mind seems to be focused right now. We'll have to wait and see whether those, those reports are true and wait and see when the pads come on. But at wide receiver 43, he's not just a guy that has the talent and the ability to finish in the top 24. He could finish as a wide receiver one. Now it's unlikely, and I'm not saying he's going to, but we have seen glimpses and small stretches of this guy could be a very, very good football player. And then we've also seen stretches where it's like, what, you know, what the hell are you doing, man? So I think year three, we get good Claypool. I think he outscores Deontay Johnson at fantasy points. And we're finally going to get that guy that we were all talking about, this athletic monster freak uh, from his rookie year. So I think that's really good value at wide receiver 43. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, we just talked about wide or year two being, you know, the year that you often want to see that jump from a wide receiver. So I think that's like the concern with him. But year three is equally, though, is important. It is. It is. That that percentage, though, I'm making this number off the top of my head because I vaguely remember it. It was like 20% or 21% for year two. And then it's like a year three breakout is like, uh, like 20.5%. It's like barely lower. Like year two and year three breakouts are relatively the same. So well, and it used to be with, um, you know, in fantasy, it used to be the year three breakout. It was always the year three breakout for wide We're still there. I mean, it's 24 re- years old. Yeah. The, the only reason it's changed at all is because of the three wide receivers being on the field more, but that doesn't mean that all these guys are still going to develop or yeah. The, I mean, the age ages vary so much, but also I feel like you can throw so much of last year's offense away because of Ben. It was really, really bad. And there've been multiple reporters. I trust the athletic more than I trust anything else because those guys are in the building. They're in tune. They are rarely wrong. And they've already been reporting that the Steelers are not going to offer Deontay Johnson more than 20 million a year. And there's no way that he's going to resign on something that's less than 20 million. So, there's a good chance that we walk into 2023 with Claypool as like the starting wide receiver one. Now I'm also in love with Pickens. I think he's got some real alpha in him. Uh, There's a chance he could pass Claypool. But again, when we're talking about, you know, I don't, that that's a 2023 discussion. We're talking for 2022. I think Claypool going at wide receiver 43 is really low. And if he balls out, then the Steelers might have two alphas on their hand where you could honestly start both of them. And Pickett's throwing the two top 24 guys in 2023. Like that, that's a possibility. Yeah, totally. And Deontay's game was just so catered to Ben, just these little fluff balls thrown out there. I mean, Deontay gets open a lot. Like he's a good route runner. He gets open. Claypool is always open. Like he will. Even like, when he's not, he's open. Yeah. Because he's and so, so- who do you think, like, if you're Trubisky or even Pickett, but especially Trubisky, who can – either of them, who can throw the ball downfield more than Ben, like, you might miss this open guy or you can just throw it up and let this dude Claypool go get it and make splash plays. Like, it just – Everybody that. wants to remember the boneheaded play that Claypool made in that Minnesota game on third down, celebrating after a first down with the running clock. But nobody talks about the two drop touchdowns that Deontay had in that game. I just – That's true spicy they, they, somebody, they, they, i'm i'm not look i'm not i'm not bringing up deontay's i'm not bringing up deontay's drop issues i'm just kidding 
but it's one of those things. It's like, if we're going to criticize a guy for something that's non-football related, why aren't we criticizing the guy that's, you know, doing something that is football? It's just, I like yeah. both, but. Totally. I, and I'm with you. I, I was screaming Deontay. Yeah, I was buying Deontay everywhere that year before he broke out. I was, I love Deontay too. There's no debating that Chase Claypool is the more talented receiver. I don't think so. Deontay, they're, they're, they're different. They're very different. Yeah. I don't, I, Claypool will never be able to reach the heights of Deontay's route running. Right. Claypool's also physically gifted, which Deontay really isn't. Exactly. So it's. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got a wide receiver going around the same range. This this last one, admittedly, was was kind of tough for me because there's a lot of guys I just like, but I'm thinking about, okay, like, who has a legitimate shot to be top 24 of their position? You know, I'm looking at, like, um, you know, like Gallup, we mentioned. I like him in that Cowboys offense, but he's coming back from an injury. Meh. Like, you got guys like Devontae Parker, who's like, hey, he's going to be the number one on the Patriots, but they're going to run the crap out of the ball. And, you know, he's like 30 years old, et cetera, et cetera. There's some running backs I like going down in that range. Um, but ultimately, Christian Kirk, he's going as wide receiver 46. I'm looking at guys, you know, just the guys in this range. Kirk is the only one with the amount of upside um, that he possesses outside of, you know, my guy Kadarius Tony. But you know, he's going a little after Claypool. So I'll give you, you know, Claypool. But just in terms of these guys that are going in this range, I want a guy, if it's not somebody who is somewhat proven, like, you know, Claypool's show, shown himself, he's in a good offense. I mean, questionable quarterback play, but they have a history there. And there's a lot of reasons to point to him. But I, I like guys in this range that really have a chance to be their team's wide receiver one but aren't being valued as their team's wide receiver one. So I look at that and I think, well, that's because it's with the Jaguars and, you know, Trevor Lawrence wasn't very good last year, but I mean, man, we can just throw that away. I mean, for the most part, like we can take some stuff from it, but I think Lawrence could have a huge leap this year. And if he does, he's going to make use of Christian Kirk. Uh, They paid him a boatload of money, 70 some million really kind of reset the wide receiver market. Yeah. They broke it. Yeah. They broke it. That's right. And you know, he's one of those fast slot receivers, which I kind of like those players. They run out of the slot, but man, they can get upfield and burn you up the seam. And I think Trevor Lawrence is going to love that. Kind of reminds me of, I mean, Doug Peterson in Philadelphia had Nelson Aguilar and not that Nelson Aguilar was tremendous, but he was like a seven. I mean, he had some years of 700 yards and eight. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was a top 24 wide receiver. I think he was, he had over 700 yards, 2017 and 18. Yeah. Finished his wide receiver 22. Yeah. There you go. He was good before all the dropping baby stuff. Um, (laughs) If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Nelson Aguilar and dropping babies. But yeah, I mean, I like Kirk in this offense. They paid him a lot. He also plays inside and outside. So like, he doesn't just play the slot either. And, you know, we talked about the three wide receivers just being on the field so much in the NFL these days. But even in two wide receiver sets, I think he'll play outside and 
because he's he he's played both, right? So I think they'll kick him out in two wide receiver sets and play him out of the slot a lot in uh in in three wide receiver sets. And you know they don't have a number one receiver really. I mean Marvin Jones is thirty two years old. He he kind of fell off last year. Shark is gone. Visca hasn't been when we hoped. I mean hopefully some things open up. But I like their tight ends. But I'm just you know I think. Lawrence in this offense with Peterson, they really have a chance to to kind of turn on the Jets. And I think Kirk can be a big part of that. And, you know, he's he's his dynasty outlook is fine. I like him. I think he's a good player, but I, I especially like him for this year. And, you know, then who knows after that what he's going to be worth. I actually tried to buy him after the trade went down or not trade um, after he signed with Jacksonville. And everybody was wanting like an early second. It was just a little rich for me. Yeah, that's that's probably I'd do a twenty four too, but nobody was really into those. So Yeah. That's tough with twenty three. I would I'd yeah, I'd do a normal like early second, but probably not in, in two thousand twenty three. But I agree, it's 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 a good pick. And yeah, it's it's like a good situation that people don't people don't necessarily realize. And I think yeah, I, I think he was kind of a trendy breakout pick like a couple times in Arizona. So I think maybe there was some feel like every year. Yeah. So I think there's like some fatigue where it's like, Oh, we never got that like full breakout, but like he's a trendy breakout pick for a reason. And the Jaguars obviously see it. They paid him a ton of money. And I actually think it was a really good signing for them. If you just, there's not so much sticker shock. Um, so I just think it fits. And I think that's a really good value all the way at wide receiver 46. So those are our six guys that are going too late, basically. Um, we will do a My Guys episode later on. Um, just talk about our our actual, like, our guys. No no matter ADP or what have you, just our guys that we're, we're putting our stamp on. Um, there may be some overlap. There might be a wide receiver I cover in that, that show. We'll see how it shakes out. But um, anything else, Matt, on our first episode of Filmalytics? Ah, I thought it I thought it went well. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, enjoyed being back here uh, podcasting with you. And we appreciate all of our listeners. We have, uh, you know, one thing we didn't mention, we do have a Discord as well, which is a lot of fun. Like we have a really fun community. So link is in the bio of this episode. It's free. Just click it and join. There you go. So just come hang out in the Discord. It's It's, it's a lot of fun. All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, remember to give us a follow at Filmalytics underscore on any and all social media. If you just want to hear me talk about Kadarius Tony more, head on over to TikTok and listen to listen to my video there at Filmalytics underscore. Otherwise, patreon.com backslash Filmalytics and join us back here next week. We'll see you then. Bye.